right? Like there's no one best diet, number one. So from the health perspective, even from the aesthetic perspective, don't fall into the trap of eating the exact same thing, the same amount, break down even from a percentage standpoint of macronutrients all the time, year after year after year. You need periods of variety and variation. How do we repair our gut microbiome? After this episode, you're gonna learn about what internal factors of health affect the way that you look and the way that you feel. You're gonna learn more about how to improve your gut health, manage your cortisol and stress levels, and more. You're listening to The Best You Podcast, where we teach you the healthy habits you need to look and feel like your best you. My name is Nick Carrier, and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached over 500 people through my program, The 10-Week Transformation. The 10WT makes it simple for former athletes who struggle to prioritize health and fitness to regain the confidence in their health that they once had. If this is your first time here, make sure you click the follow button on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify so you don't miss out on learning the latest and greatest healthy habits to form. Alan Kress is the co-owner of Metabolic Mentor University, where he provides curriculum to other health professionals so that they can get great results with their clients. He's also an IFBB pro, a professional bodybuilder, and while he's a master in how to change how the body looks on the outside, he also specializes and harps on the importance of changing how your body looks on the inside. For now, it's time to get closer and closer to your best you with Alan Kress. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I'm super fired up to be joined by Alan Kress. Alan, I think that one of the biggest disservices sometimes that like the fitness industry brings to people is people, it tends to really praise the aesthetics of fitness and health and everything like that, and therefore makes people think about health purely around their body weight, purely around how they look, but we know there's so much more to health and Honestly, focusing on internal health is just as important, if not more important, than looking at your body and how you look. So I really want to talk about internal health today and ask you to start, what are some of the biggest like internal health issues that have the biggest effect on like how we feel on a regular day basis? Um, I would say the most common thing that we see, because it's so interconnected with every system in the body, is gut health. Um, the, and obviously the research on that is continuing to evolve. There's so much more coming out with the gut connected to the brain, but then the effects on the endocrine system, hormones. So when that is off and it is in so many people because of uh, obviously the diet that they have, the stress and their lifestyle plays a huge part in that as well. It's not just food. Um, it has this kind of trickle down effect into the rest of the system. And the problem with that is people go get labs or get blood work or whatever, and they have all these symptoms with hormones and whatnot. But when you're trying to resolve it, you've got to, got to get back to the root cause, like use a deductive process and ask the right questions, proper assessment. Like, what you know, you have high estrogen or this, that, and the other. Okay, don't just treat the estrogen. Like, is that actually the problem or is that just a symptom of the actual root cause where it's coming from, which obviously could be the gut. Obviously it can be just an estrogen issue, but more often than not, when we do our assessments, we dig deep and look at history, background, lifestyle, 
and a lot of it can be traced back to the microbiome in the gut. So what are the, what are some of those things where when you're digging back into the history of somebody and asking them a lot of questions, what are some of like the things that stand out that might lead you to believe that it's a gut microbiome issue? One is obviously the quality of the food that they're consuming. Um, obviously, today's society is all about convenience. So we tend to go towards things that are fast, which is typically processed, um, obviously restaurants. Uh, and then within that, you know, artificial sweeteners is a huge one because we all love our diet drinks or energy drinks. And then even with coffee, throwing in tons of sucralose and Splenda and everything. And it's, you never want to create a mindset of good, like this is bad for you. Like you can never have it, but it's always poisons in the dose. Right. And most people are over consuming so many things and there's no balance there. And then that's what's kind of the tipping point. And, but people will come back at you and say, well, I've been having X, Y, and Z for the last, you know, five, seven years. Nothing's wrong with me. doesn't mean it's not going to happen because we see that all the time. And we always do this assessment like deep in history, go back 10 years, 15 years, even 20 to see the timeline of how long they've been using whatever product it may be or whatever food source that gives us an idea of what the possible issue is. But again, like a lot, a lot of people in assessments today with coaching, they kind of brush over going back too far. It's like, okay, well, how do you feel now? Where's your weight at now? What's your goal moving forward? And then they put a plan in place mm -hmm. without actually digging back far enough because the history can tell you a lot and predict a lot moving forward. Right. So let's talk about what gut health actually means. I know personally, I hear a lot about the gut microbiome as this essentially environment of bacteria and you want more good bacteria than bad bacteria. Then we hear like when you eat probiotic foods and fermented foods, that's what helps to populate the good bacteria. And when you eat like prebiotic foods, that's what helps to feed that good bacteria. Tell, give us a little bit more of a picture of what proper gut health actually means. I would say like we always want low hanging fruit first, right? Because an issue with functional health today is it's a nice kind of, buy-in for a lot of people like he does functional health or this is functional that and whatever and they miss so much of the low-hanging fruit and they overcomplicate and they go out with these crazy protocols right out of the gate which honestly they may not even need they have their place but i can tell you right now they're being abused at the same time because people and coaches they get protocol focused and you can't treat anybody as a protocol you got to treat them as a person right so that is an issue, but simplicity is, I see too little fiber being taken in by most people. That little part right there is huge to keep the mucosal lining strong because it's like, okay, well, what's that little tipping point that causes all these issues and these inflammatory triggers, right? Well, you have the lining of the gut. And then once that you get permeability in that, right? And you eat something, you digest it, it gets into the stomach, but then the little particles can seep through and then that causes that inflammatory trigger a little bit, no big deal. Your body can handle that. Over time, those, the, the, basically the tight junctions get opened up more and more and more and more, bigger chunks and more is going into the system where it shouldn't be going, getting more triggers, more triggers, more triggers. And then now we have this whole cascade of issues going on. If you, if people just ate enough fruit, 
that are higher in fiber and veggies and whatever it may be just had a good fiber intake you that simple little tip could prevent so many issues because you look at people's diet especially in the fitness world it's they're all in like a bodybuilder type diet with the food sources being rice and potatoes and people think potatoes have all this fiber and it's so it's like two grams of fiber and around four ounces that's not a lot of fiber i mean totality wise you're looking at getting in a minimum of around 35 40 grams depending on the person and what we like to do everybody has a different threshold but we want to test that we literally want to get it up as high as we can to what that person can tolerate and it takes time so people listening to this like if you're taking in 15 grams of fiber do not jump to 35 grams in a day you know, get constipated, there's all kinds of issues that can come from that. It's like baby steps, five grams over two to three weeks, then titrate up a little bit more and then a little bit more. But adding in simple things, legumes, people don't eat enough like beans and things like that, butternut squash, these raspberries, like the fruits that actually have a good amount of fiber in raspberries, obviously, I think it's around six to seven grams per 100 grams. Then you bananas, fine, but you're looking at one gram per 100 grams. It's not even comparable. And people, if they paid attention to the little details like this, and that's the whole thing with, you know, quality foods and good foods. Yes, bananas are healthy. Are you getting fiber from other places? Not, okay, you like fruit, you don't like vegetables. Well, guess what? You probably better be picking fruit that has the higher fiber content. It's little things like that and people not paying attention to them. Then they get all these issues and then they want the protocol thrown at them to fix the issues. But if you don't fix the little low-hanging fruit of increasing your fiber intake, you get off that protocol, you're going to go right back to where you were, and these issues will come right back. So the starting point for most people whether when they're dealing with something like this is a lot of times in the wrong place. And unfortunately, coaches, not all of them, but a lot of them are starting them in the wrong places and not teaching them the last style part of the equation to correct these things. Mm. So you think fiber is just like a really great step for everybody to be able to take looking at increasing more fiber. Are there any, what are some other, if that's the low hanging fruit, what are some other things that help to optimize gut health even further? Yeah. And then you're looking at obviously having foods that have your prebiotics or probiotics in them naturally, because you always want to opt for the food sources because you're getting tons of nutrients on top of the prebiotics and the probiotics, then yes, I mean, different lifestyles and different scenarios of if the CEO has a crazy schedule and they just are limited, then yes, that's where supplements can come into the equation. But obviously I'm all for supplements. I help design supplements, but go nutrition first, then supplements after the fact. So yeah, like obviously sauerkraut, kimchi, pickled veggies, things like that. It's just very simple things. You don't have to have them every single day. You know, spread them out through the week, three to four times throughout the week. It's just little things like that that keep us in a good place. And then people going on diets, when they go into a caloric deficit, that makes it worse because not only are you stressing the body out with the caloric deficit, then your fiber intake truly drops. A lot of people get constipated during the dieting phase as well. And the reason why is because they're lowering their fiber content. And it's just your food sources that you're choosing is going to help with that and mitigate those issues. Mm. How much, I don't know, I don't know if there's a 
how much research there is around this or how much anybody would ever really be able to tell the severity of the impact when it comes to stress on something like gut health. I know that I've heard that a lot, right? If you are really stressed out, that's going to affect your gut health. But is there like a certain amount that people have been able to tell, like if you eat really good, but you're really stressed out, then your gut health's not going to be good. Like talk to, talk to us about the relationship or the severity that high stress can have on our gut health. Yeah. That's like the, the, the iceberg, the, the tipping point for everybody is stress, right? Because right. when we have that general term of stress, that's the, the number of things. It's not like, yes, yeah, stress, but what do you mean by stress? Because there's physical, there's emotional, there's environmental, there's metabolic, there's physical, right? There's, there's tons of stress that we can have on our systems. And from a physiological standpoint, regardless of whatever stress, the cause of the stress is, if it's environmental, chemical, or physical, physiologically, it has the same response. So it doesn't matter what it is, but we all have, we all have our threshold, right? And we have layers. So keeping them all semi-balanced is good because you keep them in your threshold. If you spill over the threshold here and there, like, you have two or three weeks of high stress, no big deal. Your body can handle those things. And then you kind of back, come back to basically homeostasis or normal. You're lowering your allostatic load. But it's when the training part, right? People are training six days a week. And then they keep doing that for months and months and months on end. Now you've kind of pushed that threshold up and you're now you're spilling over constantly. And then all of a sudden you have a financial issues or you break up. And now the, the emotional side goes up. Now you're spilling over even more, right? And then it just gets higher and higher because they're compounding on top of each other. And then some, and then that obviously trickles into the hormonal, the gut, everything else. And it's, you, it's, it's possible to say, because there's no research that's definitive that says if you have high stress, regardless of what it is, that it's going to affect the gut first or it's going to affect the hormones first, right? That is definitely an individual thing. We've never seen across the board, it going into one direction or the other. I've seen pretty much everything uh, over the years of what stress can actually do to the body in itself. But it's definitely one of the major causes of all the issues that people deal with. And the problem is people are having these lives and they have this stress, but they don't even see it because to them it's normal because it's just their life. So you have to have somebody come in, do a good assessment and be unbiased do some testing if needed, and you can visually show them, you may not feel like you're stressed out, but here's your cortisol levels and your rhythm is completely out of whack. And if they see something, sometimes it can click that light bulb in their head like, oh, wow, okay. But if you just tell them like, you're just, you're stressed out and you don't give them any proof for data, a lot of times there's no buy-in. And if there's no buy-in, then they're not going to be compliant a lot of the times and do what they need to do to correct the issues. Mm. Let's stay on the cortisol level conversation. We we know kind of cortisol is the stress hormone. What what are the negative ramifications that actually happen biologically inside of our body when our cortisol levels are kind of consistently at a high level? Yeah, so when you have high cortisol levels, when cortisol goes up, and obviously that's a, it's a good thing at times, like when you're training, you're supposed to have high cortisol because it does positive things. That's literally the only time for the most part, or if obviously you're getting attacked or whatever by somebody and you got to get away. Those are times when you want cortisol high because when cortisol elevates, 
then you're releasing energy stores into the bloodstream for fuel, right? So you're releasing fatty acids, uh, glucose, and then you're also releasing amino acids into the bloodstream for that readily available fuel source because you have to have that fuel source to be active and move to do whatever you need to do, whether that's training or getting away from somebody that's trying to rob you. Um, in an instance, that's fine because then the that whatever it is goes away, you stop training, cortisol levels start coming back down, good. But if it constantly stays high, blood glucose obviously is going to increase from that because you're pushing all this into the bloodstream itself. Blood glucose is up. So what has to happen when blood glucose is elevated? Your insulin has to be secreted to pull it back down. But your stress isn't going away. So the floodgates are pretty much open. So cortisol is staying high, but then you're shooting insulin up to try to bring it down. It may come down, but then you're having starting going to start having a seesaw battle. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden it drops, it comes down too much too fast. And then all of a sudden that's a that's a stress response again. So then shoots up again, insulin goes up. So you have this constant battle going on between cortisol and insulin, right? They're antagonists of one another. And then obviously high insulin levels. Now you're talking about trigger and going down this road of kidney issues and blood pressure, met all kinds of metabolic disease. Um, and again, it's just this trickling effect because an insulin's high. Insulin's a key converter hormone, right? So now you're looking at it's this key to testosterone and now testosterone is going to convert and aromatize more into estrogen. Now you're going to estrogen is going to get high and now you're going to have estrogen dominance. And then that's going to affect thyroid. I mean, you're just having this big storm effect, but again, that's where somebody comes to you like that, right? Well, you got all this shit going on. Where the heck do I start from? And that's the deductive process. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you got to dig back where the event happened or the major stressor, how long has that stressor been going on? Okay, well, you all these things are high. Insulin's high, cortisol, everything's high. Hormones, well, okay, you might wanna fix the cortisol stress part before you attempt to try to address your thyroid or your estrogen or whatever, and people don't do that. Mm. They put these little products in, dim, whatever it is to try to get the estrogen down without fixing the cortisol and then that's low, but then all of a sudden you do fix the cortisol, you're probably going to get low at that point, lower than what needs to be beyond the threshold. Right. And now you got another message that you got to fix because you didn't or you weren't patient enough. And obviously that's a that's a client issue as well because everybody wants everything as quickly as possible. But fix the cortisol. Once that's calmed down, stress is calmed down. How's the rest of things look now? Not because of this initial cause. That's solved. Now, where's your hormones? Well, they could be in a great place without having to do anything else. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. Like you said, it, it's really important to have the the questions behind it because if you know, insulin is really high, maybe you, a lot of people think like food and potentially taking something, but it might just be come come back to the stress and you, and that's the root of the issue, and you need to fix that. I say I want to stay on the topic of stress just because it's so important and so prevalent. Obviously, stress is very comes from a lot of different places and it's very unique to each individual and how people manage it. So there's not really a blanket answer on how to solve stress, but when you're working with people, are there particular things that you find most useful for mitigating stress? Cause like, I think a lot of people sometimes 
like try to implement stress management practices, but then there's just new things to add into their life. And then that becomes more stressful to add in when oftentimes you need to just like remove things in order to relieve yourself from stress. I guess just from your experience, what are some of the biggest things that actually lead to stress management and a pot like positively reducing stress management and therefore decreasing cortisol levels? That that is definitely works in the individual because it depends. It definitely depends on the, their personality type. Is huge, you know, type A, whatever it may be, because that can lead you to believe, like like you said, if you give them more tasks to do or whatever, that'll honestly just add more stress and it's not going to resolve anything. But some people you can give those to if it's the right person does wonders for them. So it, it, you have to what you have to learn is how to assess the person properly to know what to give them. Same thing, like they're coming to you and they want fat loss or they want to be healthier or whatever, but giving them a strict meal plan right out of the gates is going to drive their stress high because they have so much on their plate to have to weigh and measure food every single meal and eat this exact meal plan laid out for them too. Like it has to be this meal that has no benefit whatsoever. And people are fixated on that. Well, you've got to balance your calories in, calories out. Well, no, let's simplify this. What are their daily habits now from a food perspective? You can always improve anybody, especially if they're coming to you from that perspective. Give them guidelines instead of an actual meal plan. So that is going to take you know pressure off them on especially adherence. Um, and you can do that. And then you always look at the whatever one of the main stressors are. The first question you ask is, can I actually remove, completely remove one of those? Yeah. Because rarely is somebody just have one. It's always multiple stressors going on, causes of it. But it's like, what can I do right now? What can I remove right now? And it doesn't mean you have to 100% keep it out all, whatever it is. Like if it's training, right? But you have all this emotional stress from, the mental stress from work and your relationship. But you're training six days a week. Because in people's head, that's my stress reliever. Right. Right. I go there to disconnect and I understand that. But unless you can do something immediately with your job or your relationship, then you guess what? Six days of training needs to go down to like two to help pull that stress down. And then during that time, okay, well, let's look at what we can do to manage the financial part of it and the relationship part of it. What, what tools can we give you? To help with those so it's like what can we remove immediately and most of the time it's the training part that we can take away just like that and modify again it's not to keep them it's not like they're going to not be active right they can be training six days a week and they're not going to be doing hit training and things like that but it's just activity is what we look to do with those people and then we're looking to mitigate and then sometimes too if it's too much like emotional mental baggage you need to refer out to a therapist because we've seen that be the roadblock of a ton of people we do all the things that we can do but they're just not getting over that, that, that plateau like wall with the mental emotional and coaches need to be confident and secure enough to refer out because you're not unless you actually are obviously a psychologist yourself and a coach you can't do that and you shouldn't do that. That's just not your role. You're there to support, obviously, and guide the client, but you're not a therapist. Refer out, which we've done with a lot of clients and we work simultaneously, obviously, with the therapist 
I think we see wonders happening. It's, it's insane the amount of progress we see with people that have therapists because that is a one thing that is so hard for people to manage and control. And they need that unbiased professional eye coming in to give them the strategies and things to implement to help push them in the right direction. And then from a physical standpoint, physiologically, they change. It's almost, it's so fast too. And it's impressive, which is why we refer out and we actually have people um, that we have that specifically we can refer them to. And that's the thing with us is you want an ecosystem that has everything. Yeah. We have the medical covered. We have the psychological covered. We have obviously the the training supplement, blah, 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 all that. Like there's not one part of the health industry that we don't have at this point in time, which is obviously a blessing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think we've done a really good job of identifying how, you know, we started off with what is one of the internal issues that really impacts how we feel. And we talked about gut health. We talked about kind of how to improve gut health. We talked about how much stress has a role on gut health and just health overall and, and how to, and how important it is to manage our cortisol levels. What are some other internal issues that you look at? Like when you're surveying somebody, whether it's looking at numbers, looking at past history, or what are some like in, more internal health issues that really cause people to not feel their best, not feel like themselves and stuff like that? I would say from a female perspective, because, you know, unfortunately, they definitely have more issues going on and have more complex physiology going on than a male coming into the equation. Males are 80% of the time easier to fix. Uh, just it's it, The physiology part is it's just easier. Um, it's more resilient than, than, a, than a female. So from a female perspective, the issue, and again, from a internal, like, like the health issue itself, it's hormonal imbalance a lot of the times. Um, also, we see amenorrhea a lot, um, secondary amenorrhea. Um, and it can be things that's obviously like birth control can induce a lot of the issues. Like, And again, it's not to say birth control is bad, but a lot of times doctors are, there's multiple types of birth control with different levels of progestions and estrogen, obviously the makeup of it. And the doctor isn't taking time to, number one, educate the client, the, the, the patient, on what the possible side effects of said birth control, and they're all different, can do to this person. So the more they're just, oh, you have acne, take birth control. And you have people on this since they're 12, 13 years old because that was their solution, which obviously didn't need to be the case. Um, so like you have the birth control thing, but then you have people overtraining, under eating, females are very common for this, for chronic periods of time. That's obviously going to deplete hormones. You're going to have low progesterone. Then you're going to have irregular menstrual cycles. Obviously, you can have amenorrhea from that, which is a big driver. And obviously, that's the stress a stress part of the equation there. Um, so from a female perspective, it kind of teeters between the hormonal balance and the gut health. Um, those are the two, I want to say, primary issues that we see with clientele coming in. But again, the drivers behind that is what we need to look at right? because people are so focused on with the functional, the hormones and this, that, and the other. And I, yes, you need that education. You don't need to be a biochemist. You don't need to understand it to that in depth by any means. I think a lot of coaches are going down too many damn rabbit holes. You, you're not a doctor. You don't need to be knowing these things. You need to know what they do physiologically, but you need to deal with what caused all this stuff. 
And we keep forgetting to do that mm. a lot of times. It's again, it, it's, and again, I'm not against protocols. I think they're definitely needed in the right context, but you're forgetting the basics in the beginning. If this person is not willing to manage their stress, get out of this, you know, abusive psychological relationship or whatever it may be, you can't help them that much. It's just, it, we've seen it. it never, there's people we've had to let go at times because they just would not do certain things because they were just, well, give me a protocol, give me this, this, and this. It's not going to resolve the issue because that's not the root cause of it. Yeah. You may get better from a symptom perspective at times, but it typically comes back at some point in time because if you don't address the root cause, that's like a Band-Aid when you give them a supplement protocol. It goes away, but then it comes back. And that's not what we're trying to accomplish. Right. So I think within the coaching, I think they just need to keep their order of operation in check. Yeah. You always. I don't care where the client's coming to you from. They start back here and you teach them this stuff. And if you need to do a protocol along with this, that's fine. But don't forget the basic part of the equation, because if you give them a protocol and you haven't done this again, it will come back. Yeah, they're just messed up again. And then you're just dealing with it all over again. You didn't help anybody. And then they wasted, honestly, again, from a financial perspective, they're wasting money because now you got all this shit again from a supplement perspective. And that stuff, depending on the issue, is not cheap sometimes. And then if you have to go from a hormone replacement therapy route, like that obviously, I mean, it depends on obviously perimenopause, things like that. But um, that's sometimes, I mean, if it's HRT, it's typically a permanent thing. But that's that should be down the road for people. It's not when they're 25 years old. Right, right. Um, I kind of want to finish off last topic of the day to try to align how best to manage both internal, the internal health and how you look. Because there's going to be a lot of people listening who are at the point where they value their internal health to a high degree and they and they want to make sure they're managing that. But they also want to lose 5, 10, maybe 15 pounds of body fat. So they're thinking, okay, I need to make sure I'm exercising, but I need to make sure I'm also kind of like regulating my caloric intake and making sure I'm doing, doing that correctly. How do you make sure that you are both exercising the right amount, managing your caloric intake, but not to the degree to where you're damaging your metabolism? So like, what are the different things that we can do to make sure that we match kind of the internal health with kind of the aesthetics and how you want to look if, if, if that makes sense. Probably the easiest term for this, for, for something like this is, is periodization, right? When we hear periodization, also we think of training because that's where obviously it's no more, but periodization, if you look at the definition, it's not directly at training, right? It's sick. It's just cyclic is all that means is you're cycling through things and periods of something. Right. Like there's no one best diet. Number one. So from the health perspective, even from the aesthetic perspective, don't fall into the trap of eating the exact same thing, the same amount, break down even from a percentage standpoint of macronutrients all the time, year after year after year. You need periods of variety and variation. There's, and it doesn't have to be an entire year of it. It literally, and that's the periodization. It can be a block of four, eight weeks. That's enough diversity. Number one, they help with your gut microbiome, which is huge. Um, but then getting 
because if you do eat one way, regardless of how good the food is and healthy it is, you're still going to be missing certain nutrients, micronutrients. It's just the way it is because lack of diversity. So you're going to be filling in gaps with that. And then also creating what we call metabolic flexibility, right? So your body's ability to use glucose and or fats as a fuel source, which you should, like us here having this conversation, we should be primarily using fatty acids as our fuel source, not glucose, right? But there's some people that aren't efficient at that. I'm just going to eat the same way all the time. So at times, keto is fine for periods. Even like carnivore is fine for periods. You know, Mediterranean, phenomenal diet for just overall health, even performance. But then the high protein has it. And now when I say high, I'm not saying insane levels of two grams per pound. Like some people are pushing. That's just out of this world. It has zero benefit. That's the ton of gut stress that you're displacing on the body. Because at some point, from a protein perspective, and I know everybody in the fitness world loves their protein. But guess what happens when it's in excess? It's converted into glucose to be utilized. Just have glucose. But having all this excess protein, because that's stress on the liver, I'd have to convert that stuff. Um, but at times, higher protein intakes are great. Like, there's nothing wrong with those. We just get into this trap of eating the same way all the time. Yes, even at times, a 250-pound bodybuilder should drop the protein to about 150 to 200 grams for a short period of time. And then focus on creating more metabolic flexibility and letting your body because if you pull protein back, you have two sources of, of left, your, pro, your carbs and your fats. So now, because if you eat high protein for a long, long, long period of time, your body can preference to use that as a fuel source, especially when you go off see low carb, low fat, because that's your primary macronutrient, but you still need fuel. So it's going to convert some of that. And obviously, but at that point, low fat, low carb, you're typically going to get a lot more muscle protein breakdown. Right. We don't want to break down muscle tissue. But if you do the shift, you remove the high portion of protein. Now your body will switch back to preferencing the fuels that's in abundant, which is going to be fats and or carbs. So like diet variation is just huge. And that's the periodization. You periodize periods of different types of food sources, diet, and do that throughout the year at some time. Mm -hmm. And obviously the same thing with a training perspective is even if you are focused on one thing, like, and this is only honestly just typically sh shifts into bodybuilders or physique athletes. Yes, typically your goal is hypertrophy, building as much lean tissue as you can. But you shouldn't be doing that 365 days a year. You need little breaks to train other systems of the body, right? And that means your other energy systems, like your aerobic, yes, you get a little bit, in there, I'll walk every day. That's not honestly training your aerobic capacity. It's great for you, but I'm talking about truly training that energy system and training your anaerobic and your aerobic system together, improving your VO2 max. And from a longevity standpoint and mortality, that has the greatest correlation. The higher your VO2 max, typically the longer you're going to live. But people don't even in the fitness world, I don't really look at that or talk about it much. You only see that in performance-based stuff with triathletes and obviously performance-based sports. You don't typically see it in general fitness and bodybuilding type stuff, right? So VO2 max is huge. So doing periods of that stuff is so important, but it's never done. It's typically done in unison with a ton of training because people are so 
just like, I got to do my weight training five days a week, six days a week. That's great. But if you try to prioritize aerobic conditioning and to do that, you need to be doing it like five times a week, give or take. Well, that's five times of that. Plus your five or six times of weight training because people don't want to prioritize. Guess what? Any stress is going to go through the roof because that's a, that's a lot to recover from. And people just, they think they're going to lose all this muscle tissue if they just pull back to three days a week or four, even four days a week of weight training, which obviously is not going to happen. You have to do a lot to actually lose muscle tissue. It's been shown in research. You can do two days a week of quality, just two days a week of quality training to maintain what you have built. As long as your nutrition is on point, you're not going to lose muscle tissue. Well, you lose some strength and obviously like sarcoplasmic type, like is the cells going to shrink a little bit? Sure, of course. But that's not actual muscle loss. Right. in itself but people aren't prioritizing energy systems enough and look the percentage of bodybuilders out there is so tiny but everybody's training someone like that yeah like please stop like general demographic people or people with jobs and even people that want to look good that should not be how you program but that is the way this industry is stuck in you look at anybody's breakdown of program it's just pure hypertrophy all the time that's all they program and the unfortunate part is they're not learning it and they just don't know obviously but there's a lot of great people out there to learn from um to understand these things i mean you have joel jameson out there uh peter uh Tara. like there's all kinds of people that are putting this information out take the information from them apply it your own way but just learn it and then apply it to your clients be open-minded with this industry because people aren't they're like stuck in these boxes all over the whatever whatever it is it could be crossfit or orange theory everybody's stuck in their little box and all that stuff uh, i'm not against crossfit i'm not against orange theory. i'm not against any modality of training it's just context of how long you do it right. and what your overall goal for sure for sure i love it i think periodization is so key and fitness and nutrition, obviously, for so many different reasons. So I love the breakdown of all of that. Well, before I ask the last question real quick, I just want to acknowledge you for the way that you go about the work that you do with the way that you coach clients, the way that you coach coaches to coach clients and teach people to coach clients with like them as a person, not as just like this number where you have to actually like go back and learn from them what their past history is and ask them really a lot of questions so that you can actually get back to the root of the issue so that you can actually treat the root of the issue and and provide them with the ability to make lasting change rather than just short-term change and then they fall right back to where they are so i really appreciate the way that you go about working with clients and, and teaching people to work with clients the right way i think it's awesome um but the last question here alan is it's a hypothetical question but if you could only do three healthy habits for the rest of your life, for whatever reason, you are only able to choose three healthy habits that you're like, these are the things that I want to do and feel like are going to benefit me the most for the rest of my life. What are those three healthy habits that you would do? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, for the rest of my life. So when I, when I hear that, it's like, okay, well, I need something that's going to make me live as long as possible. It's going to benefit me in that way, right? Uh, number one would be sleep is sleeping no less than seven hours, um, anywhere from seven to nine, but seven's kind of personally for me is my, my little threshold, uh, from a recovery standpoint and to feel really good for the next day. Uh, so sleep is number one, um, balanced nutrition 
daily. And this is not counting macros or anything like that. It literally is just like eat a good source of quality source of protein, carbs, and fats all within the same meal. For me, typically that's four meals a day um, at this point in my life. Um, and just keep, literally keep it balanced that I'm, I have everything that I need from a recovery standpoint to keep my hormones in check. Um, obviously from a gut health perspective, uh, keeping that balanced in there. Um, and then last thing, you know, obviously I want to say, I say exercise instead of like specific modality, because like we just talked about from a periodization standpoint, right. you, you don't want just one. Um, so I would just say, just continue to exercise no less than three times per week. Typically for me, it's always going to be four, just exercise what I enjoy. And look, I've done with all these things, it's the extremes, as extreme as they can get with everything. So like a lot of my knowledge is experience, not just the knowledge and also the research and things like that. So I've been doing this for since I was 17 and I'm 47. You know, you turn 48. So I've been doing this for decades and decades and I've made so many mistakes, learned from those mistakes and I pushed my body to places I shouldn't have pushed it point to points. But again, that's a learning experience and things I need to pass on to other people. Um, so there's, there's, I don't think there's anything that I haven't done to myself to be able to educate and just give back to obviously the coaching community if they will listen um so they don't make the mistakes is that the whole point of having mentors and education is so you don't make the past mistakes so it does fast forward you a lot more than when i was coming up obviously there was no social media no I, honestly the internet was just getting started at that point in time when i already been in the industry for 10 years um so i think people you know, the thing with today's society is the younger generations, sometimes they take things for granted for what the, you know, accessibility that they they have now. And they like to be fast-tracked. And you can be fast-tracked. They'll help a lot more than I can uh, or was coming up in the industry for sure. But do it in the right order. Do it the right way. Get experience. Do the in-the-trenches stuff. Going and buying this business manager or whatever it is to get all this business. Great. You can get all these clients. If you can't get results with your clients and actually be a good coach, then that means nothing. You're going to have such a high rate of turnover. You're not doing anything and you'll burn out and you'll leave the industry in two to three years. A lot of people don't st stick around in this industry for long, long periods of time um, because they don't do things in the right order. And they, they honestly don't want to put the time in to learn what they need to learn in the right order. It's like, guys, take your time. Yes, you have all this information. Doesn't mean you need to learn it all at one time. Learn it in the right order. Apply it. Get in the trenches with things. And yes, 100%, you need to learn business. Definitely. If you want to grow, yes, you need the business aspect. Because obviously, I think financial literacy is a missing component with a lot of this stuff, too. Um you know, all the masterminds and all this stuff is out there. That kind of stuff is, it's for like the people that are already really high up in a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Yes, that may have benefit.
But for somebody just starting out, you ain't been coaching for five years. That's a complete waste of money. Your reputation is what's going to push you further and further. People ask me all the time how I get higher profile clients, this and that. It's all been referrals. It's not a marketing thing. I've never once, they don't look at, those type of people don't look at marketing. They ask people. Right. People are like, well, if you do a good job with them and you never know who you're going to have as a client and what their relationship is to somebody else. So every single client that you get, you treat them the same. You do to the best of your ability as a coach because you don't know where that's going to lead. Right. We have tons of these, like we're, we have our health summit coming up in a couple of weeks and my trainer panel that I'm having, we all have these stories because we get that question a lot. How'd you get uh, this big name person? Like what was the secret or this, that, we all spent 20 years doing this. And at some point, we trained the right person. We did a phenomenal job and they referred us to the said person. And then then this just starts after that. It's a word of mouth from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, awesome stuff today here, Alan. I really appreciate it. I know everybody learned a lot from a gut health perspective, how to manage stress and cortisol levels, the importance of diversity when it comes to both fitness and nutrition just a lot of great stuff a lot of actionable takeaways you guys make sure you go follow alan on instagram at alan underscore ifbb pro i'll have all that stuff linked up in the show notes uh, but that's all we got today alan really appreciate your time man i know everybody learned a lot yeah, i appreciate you having me there were some amazing things in that episode with alan i hope you wrote some of them down so that you can really help maximize your gut health if you're looking for an at-home workout program that provides you with nutrition guidance dumbbell workouts that you can do anywhere and a high level of accountability then try out the one week free trial of the virtual 10-week transformation by going to nickcarrier.com slash free trial to sign up today again nickcarrier.com slash free trial today some of my biggest takeaways from alan were the following gut health is huge like a damaged gut microbiome can cause all sorts of different problems inside of our body and getting back to the root of the issue and repairing our gut lining can help to solve a lot of those issues start with the lowest hanging fruit which is fiber. Begin to increase your fiber intake by about five to 10 grams. If you're not getting enough right now, increase it by five to 10 grams over what you're currently consuming by eating fruits that are higher in fiber, like raspberries and blackberries, eating more veggies high in fiber and grains and legumes if they sit well with your stomach. Managing your cortisol levels by managing stress is key to our internal health. Start by asking yourself, is there something that you can remove or eliminate in your life that causes you a lot of stress? And periodization with food and fitness is important for a lot of reasons, to make sure we're fit in a lot of different ways and to ensure optimal gut health. If you can do these things, it will help you get closer to the healthiest version of yourself and ultimately closer and closer to your best you.